Ding dong, another sports season ends at the expense of a team from Philadelphia. Hey, Chiefs, get your own shtick. And from fears of arbitration to tears of elation, new Astros general manager Dana Brown came to Houston to do two things, chew gum and extend young players, and he's all out of juicy fruit. We're going to talk about it next on Stone Cold Strohs, episode 10. That starts right now. Welcome into Stone Cold Shows. I'm Brandon Strange. I'm alongside SportsMap Houston, senior content contributor to Charlie Palillo. You can follow him on Twitter at Palillo and read his weekly column on SportsMap.com. Next to him is SportsMap.com editor Josh Jordan. Follow him on Twitter at JoshJordan975 and listen to him Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on his show Moneyline on ESPN 97.5, 92.5 FM. Charlie, Josh, welcome in. It's spring training week. No complaints about anything. Well, we'll probably come up with a couple. Uh, <laughs> Baseball is in the air. That's right. Baseball is in the air. And uh, as we're getting everybody, welcome into our live audience that's still making their way in right now. And if you've ever wondered why the intro is so long, it just gives a chance to everybody to get in. And we do this podcast live at 3 p.m. every Monday here on YouTube. And now you're here. So you can interact with us in the chat. We'll feature some of our favorite messages on screen please hit like on the video. And if our faces are too much to power through, the audio version gets posted Monday evenings. So just search Stone Cold Strohs on your favorite podcast provider like Apple or Spotify. And make sure to follow our parent channel, SportsMap Houston, on all your favorite social platforms at SportsMap H-O-U. Guys, uh, we teased it in the cold open. Our main story, which broke Friday afternoon. Hey, Astros, Friday afternoons are for news dumps, not for celebratory news. Christian Javier inks a five-year, $64 million extension that will run through 2027. So, uh, guys, what are your reactions to Dana Brown hitting the ground running and getting Javier locked up for a couple extra years? Well, Dana Brown gets Atlanta Braves' MO up and running in a hurry with the Astros. Uh, locking in Javier, 25 years old, five years, it's 64 million. Now there's cash on the barrel head money, and then there's spreading it out for competitive balance tax reasons. So it's $12.8 million per year. The Astros are paying Javier $5 million in 2023, but it counts 12.8. So they still have dry powder if during the course of the season because of injuries or subpar performance. There's still about $20 million under the first threshold of $233 million. And securing Javier as one tentpole of the rotation without the health concerns of Lance McCullers, who still has four years left on his deal. But Javier, without one full season in the major leagues as a starting pitcher, five years, 64. So if the Astros are or will engage in Framber Valdez extension talks, I would think that's the floor. Right. Fromber commands more. Uh, I think it's a very open question. And I would guess in a majority vote among the three of us, certainly Astros fans at large, who would you rather be as a pitcher this year over the next five years, Fromber or Christian Javier? There's no bad answer, but Javier is just so electric other than quantity of innings. He was better than Fromber across the board last year. But in terms of service time in the major leagues, actually throwing its advantage Fromber, hence if Javier was going to arbitration, they had a narrow gap, but it was going to be three or three and a half. Fromber settled with the Astros at 6.8. So just about double of what Javier had sought. Now, I don't think Fromber gets double of what Javier gets if they work out a deal. But five years, 64 million. Double that, five years. Check my math, 128. Well, that would nudge over the 25 million range. Carlos Rodon territory as a free agent. But Fromber's still three seasons away from free agency. He's not going to get to that neighborhood. So does he get $100 million, or is that a nice round number from which to negotiate if the Astros hope to secure one more key cog in their starting pitching machine? And I think we could see that this spring training. We remember that the Bregman extension went down during spring training. The Altuve extension did as well. So this could be in the works coming up here. And my big takeaway with Dana Brown is, He's just not talking the talk. He's walking the walk. Last Thursday, he said they felt really good about conversations with Javier, and then boom, they get him signed. So 
there's a plan here. I'm going to be curious with Bregman and Altuve because that's somebody Dana Brown brought up that we want to get these guys locked in. So if he's talking about it, I'm listening. He, he made it happen here with Javier. We saw it with the Braves, Spencer, Spencer Strider, Michael Harris II. These guys only had that one good year, and then they signed them long-term. So this is the MO. This is kind of how the Astros are going to do things. And, hey, Crane said he wanted somebody more aggressive. So here you go, Jim. It's so hard to judge, um, you know, championship window for this team because of how long uh, the level of sustained excellence that we've, we've seen from them. It's unheard of. How about eternal? Yeah, I, I don't even know that it's a window anymore. It's more like a mansion full of windows in a five-car garage with all the doors wide open. Does does this move the needle all in that direction of, of, of keeping that window open? I know, like, we we haven't really seen enough of Javier to really, we haven't even seen a full season of in pitching, but, but does this move the needle at all in that and keeping that window open? It's another piece of this championship core that's locked up. I think if you want to look long-term optimistically, then yes, but Javier couldn't leave for another three years anyway. Right. Justice Robert can't leave for another three years and Urquidy can't leave for another three years. And Luis Garcia can't leave for another four years. And McCullers with four years left on his contract. And Hunter Brown, six years away from potential free agency if he's the, the next big thing. So Javier was going to be a, a key piece regardless over a pretty good window of time the next three years. But they now tack two onto that. Of course, the risk-reward. I mean, just dominating stuff. And he doesn't throw 98, 99, but that invisible fastball. His innings, uh, the hits allowed per inning ratio, just stupefying. Uh, exact same number of strikeouts last season, regular season numbers, as Fromber Valdez. Fromber threw 53 more innings. Now, grounded a second is just as effective as a strikeout. But in terms of toughness to get a hit off, right, if we want to microcosm it, Javier started two no-hitters last season. So if you're an Astros fan on the not-quite-eve, the eve of the eve of the eve of the first workout, pitchers and catchers of spring training, it's just an exciting item. There's always variability, of course, with injuries, with pitchers. But five years, 64 million, 12.8 per year, buying out all the arbitration and a couple of years of free agency. It seems a very favorable risk reward play. And this is what Dana Brown's been a part of with the Braves for the last several seasons. Yeah, I, I like the runway it gives you with the starting pitching, Brandon, to extend that window. You, you know, you got McCullers, and now, you know, Fromber will be here for a few more years, hopefully even longer, a long term deal. Javier's locked up. And this is something we talked about as Astros fans during the, you know, all this money being thrown around in free agency. I know they went out and got a Brayu, but, you know, and Brantley came back, but they didn't go crazy. But as Astros fans, we're like, we're fine with that if they end up extending and paying some of the current guys on the roster. And that's what they did right here with Javier. Hopefully there's some more moves coming. Well, I'm, I'm ecstatic every time, you know, the Astros make a move in which they lock down more pieces of that championship core. And while I like this signing, I will say this doesn't really seem like a change in philosophy for the Astros. This feels very much like a deal that we've seen from them in the past. Uh, when, when he was asked about Jim Crane's aversion to long-term deals, Dana Brown said that he told Jim Crane, buckle up, it's time. Uh, so what I'm interested in is seeing one of those deals, because like I said, this still feels like a very typical, you know, Astros locking up and kind of extending out, uh, you know, slightly extending out a window from a guy who's already under team control. I want to see what one of those long-term deals looks like, because I think that's how you're going to retain a Kyle Tucker if they're going to retain a Kyle Tucker. And I don't really see it Kyle Tucker getting done per se, uh, but that takes me to my next question for you guys, which is there are still other pieces of the championship core that are in or near arbitration. You guys mentioned them from and Tucker being, uh, you know, a couple of those pieces. So it's natural to wonder who's next uh, from or Tucker under team control till 2026. And uh, you know, we talked about Jeremy Pena a little bit just because he kind of uh, falls into that interesting window, in which he hasn't hit arbitration yet, but we've seen Dana Brown do deals like that. Uh, he's still pre-arb. He doesn't. He's under team control to 2027. What guys do you see as the next likely person that that gets extended uh, on this team? Well, you have the the younger player guys, most notably with Javier signed, sealed, delivered, in Fromber. Um, 
I just don't think Jose Arquiti is good enough that you're thinking about signing him. Uh, Luis Garcia somewhere in between. If it's a, a bargain deal, maybe you can go another year or two. But I think three years is fine. Wait and see what they become. And over a three-year period, presumably, the Astros refortify the pipeline somewhat and have another pitcher or two that they're thinking is close to the major leagues come 2026 and they can make decisions with guys like Arquiti and Garcia. Uh, among the uh, everyday players, Kyle Tucker is the big one now. Uh, benchmarks, Jordan getting $19 million per year, six years, 115. The market has only gone up since then. We made the comp last week or maybe two weeks ago, specifically with Dana Brown coming from Atlanta. Kyle Tucker among right fields generally ranks about where Austin Riley, the Braves' terrific third baseman, ranks among third basemen. Um, probably slight edge Riley among third baseman at this point, but Tucker's clear up echelon, maybe top five right fielder uh, going into this year. Uh, Austin Riley got 10 years, $212 million. So if you're team Tucker, you know, you have to acknowledge Jordan is a clearly better hitter than you, but as an all around player, and if the market has had these tectonic plate shifts since Jordan took his deal, no pity party for Jordan locking down $115 million. <laughs> but if you're Kyle Tucker, you're probably thinking a, a chunk more than that. Certainly no less than 100 million guaranteed if you wanted to go with a, a shorter deal. Alex Bregman got five years, 100 million. Well, that's probably in the ballpark of what Kyle Tucker would seek. Uh, so there are your younger, longer-term nucleus guys. But the quicker ones, too, for potential free agency are Bregman and Altuve, who are both two years away. Of course, Altuve is 34 when free agency arrives for him. And uh, Bregman will be 30. So, you know, the sticky wickets of negotiations, how many years along with how much guarantee, right? Altuve, he's on the books at 23 and change. But when they extended him at five years, it was $151.5 million. So that was $30.3 million per year for five years in new money added to the Astros having him on the incredible cheap from, from when they'd signed him early in his career. Uh, Bregman, meanwhile, at five years, $100 million, a free agent at 30. He's a third baseman, not a shortstop, but I'm sure he looks at all that shortstop money this offseason and saying, that's eh, about my ballpark. You can sign me to 40, 41 years of age at the going rate. So what will the Crane slash Brown organizational philosophy be on the graybeard guy contracts? But you don't sign Jose Altuve to a five-year extension to take him to 38, 39 years old. Um, I don't know how much they will factor this in, right, in the era of shifts being gone, right? Athleticism of middle infielders takes on a little increased importance. Right, Altuve is still a tremendous player, but are you going to count on him uh, being as athletic at 37, 38 as he is now? be foolish to do so so you're going to commit 30 million dollars that far out um he's a good enough hitter that he can be a dh if he maintains that skill set into his uh, mid-30s and, and maybe the backside of his 30s so but they have a, a lot of things to consider but nothing that should panic any astros fan if they don't get it done before spring training or even the end of this season yeah i'm a. Uh... I'm just thinking of Dana Brown. He seems like a guy, kind of a straight shooter, as I mentioned earlier. And he was gushing about Alex Bregman the other day. I mean, all the way back to watching him at LSU. I mean, I think there's something there. I think it might be Bregman. That might be the, the next move they're targeting. So that wouldn't shock me at all if something gets done with Alex Bregman. If you offer him four years, $100 million. On top of the two years that he has left. And again, Bregman, his take home this year will be about 30 million. And again, next year. But because it was a five year extension when it was signed, he counts 20 million per year on the books. Um, would Bregman say, hey, hey, 25 million? Come on. Correa got well more than that. I'm more durable than him. Alexander uh, Bogarts, I don't, I don't consider myself a lesser player than him. 11 years, 280 million. So that's the, uh, what, the art of the deal. It is. And let's keep in mind, same agent there for Correa and Bregman and Altuve, all Scott Boris guys. So the question is, is Scott Boris going to like that number? I don't know if he'll like that commission that goes with that number, Charlie. He might he might want that number upped up a little bit. That makes sense. I, I'd love to see Fromber uh, get extended as the next guy, but he's 29. We, we talked about it. He's you're not going to get a team for in deal for him. He's going to look, especially if he stays on this trajectory, he's going to look to grab that bag. He wants to give that big deal. I think some guys low key that could be uh, 
candidates to get early extensions. One would be Luis Garcia, but just because I think that's another one of those value deals where you can, uh, you know, ex- extend his time here. It doesn't really cost you that much extra, but it just uh, extends that window in which you've got this uh, core pitching staff together. Even if he is good, just going to be your fourth and fifth, you know, fourth or fifth uh, starting uh, pitcher. You need those guys. Um, another guy who I think, could be a, an underrated candidate to get locked up early. And I'm going to share some credit with this idea with uh, Peter Allen Green here, Brian Abreu. We saw Brian Abreu have a breakout season last year in 2022. He could be the Astros uh, closer of the future, given his nasty stuff. And so I would not rule out Brian Abreu being a guy who in which the Astros strike a team-friendly deal with to extend his window here in Houston. But as a little bit of a late bloomer with them controlling him for four more years as is, I would say that would have to be lower priority on the totem pole. Uh, absolutely uh, I, I think and also and do it uh, for one full season yeah exactly I, I think that's the other thing that's that's the caveat is you've really only saw that one breakout year from him which is why I, I don't necessarily think for both reasons I don't think we'll see Jeremy Pena or Brian Abreu as you know maybe those uh, urgent candidates because of the amount of team control and you're going to want to see them uh, perform for for multiple seasons um, speaking of young guys uh, Keith Law of the Athletic put out his rankings of Astros prospects, and we'll just uh, we'll put out just the top ten uh, that he has here, just to go on the board here, and I'll read it for those who are listening to our podcast. So, in order from one through ten is right-handed pitcher Hunter Brown. Uh, number two is catcher prospect Yank, uh, Jainer Diaz. Uh, number three is outfielder Drew Gilbert. Uh, four is also an outfielder Colin Barber. Outfielder Jacob Melton is number five. Catcher Corey Lee, six. Uh, our old friend, uh, Forrest Whitley, who uh, we spoke about on the podcast last week. Uh, right-handed pitcher Forrest Whitley at number seven. Outfielder slash second baseman Pedro Leon at number eight. Justin Durden, outfielder uh, at number nine. And Logan, it's either Kearney or Cerny. I, I can't figure out which one it is. Uh, outfielder uh, at number 10. So, guys, um, any, any takeaways from uh, – Law's uh, rankings here of the Astros' top prospects and the farm system right now? No big beef. And the the keynote is that Hunter Brown's the only top 100 prospect on the board by Mm -hmm. either Law with the Athletic or MLB.com's pipeline rankings. But the Astros' farm system's not in great shape. You pick low every year. You go consecutive years without first or or second-round picks. And the Astros have also missed uh, on some picks over that time. Right? It's not like Luno's record was spotless. He did enough brilliant work to set up this dynasty. So there's work to be done. And hello, Dana Brown, who uh, talked about refreshing, as uh, Josh alluded to earlier in straight shooting. He said, I cannot blow the draft. <laughs> you know, I, I guess when you come yeah. in with a four or five year contract, you have pretty good security right off the top. But uh, he put that right on his shoulders. Yeah, we need to draft well. Doesn't matter where we're drafting, but that's how we're, we're going to uh, reload. Uh, I imagine we'll get into here the, the catcher rankings. We have Martin Maldonado, a year older and presumably a year slower. Whether it's Lee, Diaz, or some combo platter of the two, that's at least 50 starts uh, that the Astros need behind the plate. Uh, Maldonado started 110 games this past season. I wouldn't think you're anticipating him having a larger workload than that. Um, So who? uh, that to me is the – it's about the only position battle of note in spring training for the Astros – is it Corey Lee, their former first-round draft pick, who, frankly, is hitting credentials in the minors are not good? And then you have Yiner Diaz, who's done nothing but kill it at the plate uh, through the, the minor leagues. Uh, Maldonado, obviously, in this lineup, you can carry him or have been able to carry him batting ninth and prioritizing defense and, and handling pitching. So that would probably be edge Corey Lee, but you know, he's not Yoda back there. He's a better <laughs> defensive catcher relative to Yiner Diaz. I guess other than a really strong throwing arm, the general book on Diaz as a receiver is, boy, he's a really good hitter. Uh, one variable, let me just toss in on the, the catcher competition. If Michael Brantley's not healthy, I, you can carry both of them and, and spot Diaz some DH at bats. Uh, I don't want to say you can just stick anybody in, in left field for a, a start here or a start there, but if Brantley's healthy, we know who the Astros' primary nine are, and then you have the the four bench spots after that, a backup catcher, 
we presume David Hensley uh, giving an edge to Jake Myers or Maurice Dumont, or are they both here? And if so, well, that gets you to 13 non-pitchers. Well, Brantley's not ready to go starting the season. Maybe that's a window for both Lee and Diaz to get a little bit of early season run. But, hey, someone other than Martin Maldonado is going to be or certainly should be catching for the Astros basically one out of every three games, if not more than that. Yeah, the, the guy that I kind of wanted to bring up and talk about, uh, somebody reached out, one of our viewers, and said, could you talk about maybe somebody that could surprise this spring that we haven't talked about? And I thought Chandler Rome wrote a, a nice article in the Chronicle, and he talked about Justin Durden and that, you know, he was an undrafted free agent. Remember in 2020, the, the, the draft only went five rounds, and they signed a bunch of guys, and he was really good in A last year. But when he came up to Sugarland in September, Chandler Rome was saying, man, he – he struck out a lot, 40 times and 128 at bats. But in double A, you know, he slashed 324, 411, and, and 616, pretty darn good number. So he's a guy that can play all three outfield positions, though he's probably better suited for one of the corner spots. But maybe he's somebody that, that could jump out this year. I believe Charlie, didn't you say he's 25 years old already? So he's a, a bit older of a prospect, but a big kid over six feet tall. You know, I was watching his swing on YouTube a little bit. Maybe he could surprise. He could be somebody to keep an eye on this spring. Uh, for me, it would be Drew Gilbert. Not so much that he can surprise and challenge for a, a roster spot, but hey, he was their first round draft pick. And he's a three year college guy. So he's 22 years old. And there are all kinds of exceptions over uh, 140 years of Major League Baseball, 154 years of, of Major League Baseball, 1876 and 147, give or take. Uh, but the bulk of really special talents forced their way to the major leagues by age 21, 22, whether it's guys who come out of high school or come out of the Dominican or Venezuela. I mean, we can just run through Astros history if you wanted to from Nolan Ryan, not originally an Astro, but you catch my drift to Joe Morgan and Cesar Cedeno to much more modern times, Jeff Bagwell and Jose Altuve. Every one of those guys was in the major leagues for good at age 21. Doesn't mean they all tear it up and become what they're ultimately to become at the very start. But they get there sooner than later. So Gilbert, as the first-round pick, very toolsy. Um, I'd like to see him start the year, A, healthily, having a dislocated elbow. Um, but he is the hope for next-generation Astros leadoff hitter. So I would hope he gets to double-A this year, and by September 24, he's knocking on the door. And by 2025, the latest – Brantley presumably is often retired at that point. What's Chaz McCormick's career arc? What's Jake Myers' career arc? Uh, there's an outfield spot over the next couple of years for Drew Gilbert if he proves to be worthy of his first-round draft status. Yeah, and that's that's my takeaway from it was just the amount of outfielders that litter that top 10 list. So the Astros would hope to be prepared for uh, losses of per, uh, Brantley eventually and perhaps Tucker. Charlie, you talked about this a little bit. We, we were talking about the, the catcher spot uh, you know, before we got on here, and we, we made the observation that Law has Diaz ranked above Lee as far as just you know, his, uh, his prospects. The organization probably doesn't see it that way because they feel like you know, Lee's put in his time. He's the better defensive catcher. They obviously prioritize, as you mentioned. Um, Josh, you, I think Charlie's answered this, but what's, when do you think we'll see Diaz and where do you see Diaz fitting into this roster and finding a spot? Because it's going to be a little cramped, right? It is. I, I, th I think Lee will, and of course, Maldonado is going to play quite a bit. May, right. Maybe Corey Lee plays twice a week, something like that. But I think maybe more in a DH role we'd see Diaz. I think the, he'll get some starts from time to time. You know, it depends on Brantley. If he's not healthy, then yeah, we could see both of them in the lineup. You never know. But I think it's going to be DH and maybe spelling Abreu at first base from time to time. I think maybe it'll start off like that. And if he performs well, Dusty's going to keep running him out there. But, you know, we shall see. But I don't think he's going to be regularly the, the first option at catcher. They, As you mentioned, they've just showed they care so much about the defensive side of catching. And I don't, I don't see why that would change now. I mean, if it didn't happen in the playoffs <laughs> when you kept running Maldonado out there, I, I don't think it's going to happen now. Obviously, you know, they value Maldi as a savvy player and what he can do at the plate. Uh, obviously, him being able to stick out his elbow and draw, uh, you know, hit by pitches. It was certainly valuable in the postseason. Just on Diaz, that you know, if you can carry them 
both or Diaz nudges ahead of Lee. And Yonder Diaz performs to his minor league pedigree. And hey, definition of potential is everything you've yet to achieve. So until you do it in the major leagues, fake yogiism. Until you do it, you haven't done it. Uh, but Yiner, as a platoon partner with Brantley, not necessarily in left field, but as you slot around mm-hmm. DH stuff, you know, when Jordan's presumably, well, 45 to 50% or whatever the, the, the baggy formula is on his playing time. Uh, but <laughs> Diaz, Brantley splitting at bats, left field uh, DH apart from when uh, Jordan's taking uh, days off from the field. That could uh, blend Brantley's high on base percentage and professional savvy uh, with some thump uh, against left-handed pitching with Diaz. But Charlie, don't you think, I mean, we, we know what, we know Maldi's going to be out there barring any sort of injury. I mean, hell, even last season, in spite of injury, they kept running uh, Maldi out there, which we found out at the end of the year, he had a broken hand, uh, had been playing through a sports hernia since I think, I think August or something like that. They value mightily what Maldi brings and if Lee's going to be the backup catcher and we know that Diaz is not a polished catcher, are they going to prioritize maybe Diaz getting reps down in AAA uh, to where he can become a better catcher to increase his value at that position? Probably because, well, they're both right-handed hitters, so it's not a future platoon. It could right. still be a job share if Martin Maldonado is done after this season and you still have both uh, Lee and Diaz around. Um, but with the Astros scores being so good and the whole point being uh, ready to uh, repeat, ready to reign, uh, numeral two, their, their marketing slogan for this year. You know, you have David Hensley who can play all your infield spots as your t- utility guy there. Do you really need to carry Mauricio Dubon, who I know Dusty likes and his range in center field, and he certainly can play the infield spots. But Dubon and Myers, uh, Jake Myers is probably a guy on the spot this spring that he better look good. Um, but if Diaz hits... I'd rather have both Diaz and Lee on the 26 man coming out of Florida than have both Dubon and Myers. I don't think necessarily Dusty sees it that way, at least where Dubon is concerned. Uh, but where are real roles for both Dubon and Hensley? To me, Hensley has first crack at that. <laughs> Dusty loves Dubon like I love Christian Javier. So. It, that's just a thing. I, I think let's, he's going to get. Let's talk power. about that, Josh, because I, I wanted to bring this to you next because there are a lot of outfielders, and we had Chas McCormick make the the statements he with a quote from Chas McCormick over the offseason saying that you know he's earned the spot; it's his to lose now. You're not so sure about that. I'm not. I mean, we've seen in that same piece, Chandler Rome reminded me it was until like September that Chaz started getting all the regular at bats in center field. And it, you brought up that quote, Brandon, <laughs> the, about Dusty talking about OPS versus lefties with McCormick. And, you know, they were asked why he wasn't getting more opportunities and talked about how the stats are more for the fans. I just, you know, I wonder if, if Dusty's kind of open minded about this. The other problem is, is Jake Myers. Dusty complained last year that they brought they brought Jake Myers back too soon, that he didn't get enough at bats. Dusty made the point that, that this guy just got a, a very low amount of at bats and they're bringing him back to the major leagues, but you're bringing him back when the rest of the league, they're in the middle of the season, they're in full swing. You know, pitchers are throwing nasty breaking stuff and and Jake was just kind of getting his footing and he wasn't ready. And, and Dusty said he was outvoted, that he he didn't think Jake Myers was ready to come back yet, but but Click brought him up. And then remember, Click made the comment, like, maybe we'll reevaluate, you know, how our process is for bringing players back from injury and basically kind of admitted he brought him back too soon because Myers said he was healthy. But if you watch those games, you could see something wasn't right. And the key edge that Jake Myers had in the evaluation over McCormick was defense. So whatever happens forward, it's going to take something for Chaz McCormick to be remembered for one play more so in his career than the catch on the track in, in Philadelphia. Um, look, uh, Dusty was off the cuff answering a question and maybe he got tired of hearing a little bit uh, <laughs> that OPS's fan stuff is ridiculous. That's a little bit of old man, Dusty, old school, get off my lawn. Um, OPS certainly isn't everything, but that's not some complicated, arcane, obscure, useless stat. It's a pretty comprehensive number of what you do in the batter's box. Chaz McCormick was a stud against left-handed pitching. Chaz McCormick was a scrub against right-handed pitching. Uh, Light switch on and off, uh, black and white, day and night. 
so the ideal would be to have a left-handed hitting compliment to McCormick for that job, unless he has another step forward in his game, right? He's 27 years old already. So while he's still a young guy to Astros fans and young in major league experience, uh, quantum leap forward at 27, you don't typically see, but you know, you don't never see it. But if McCormick wants to be the everyday center fielder, unless there's just no legitimate alternative, you can't carry an OPS of 620. Uh, against right-handed pitching because you face more right-handed pitching than left-handed pitching in the major. I think it's funny to dismiss or for Dusty to dismiss the uh, relevance of McCormick being able to hit against lefties considering the, the splits are very, very telling. And it's not just about what he did during the regular season, but he carried that into the postseason. And Garrett Cole would like to have a word with you if you think that uh, McCormick is incapable of of hitting dominant left-handed pitching. And quickly too, Brandon, remember that same interview, Dusty like chimed in about him. Maybe he's not so great against lefties in a sense. He was like, we we used him twice against lefties. He struck out both times. So Jazz isn't, he's not perfect against lefties. So I think Dusty was like Charlie was saying, he was tired of answering those types of questions over and and over. Sometimes how you answer the question can be influenced by who asked the question. Great. Right. And what, and what they're getting at too. And Dusty, is nothing if not going to hear questions about his lineups. And to to his credit, and in in his defense as well, we did hear that there was a power struggle happening behind the scenes. James Click was pushing from Jake Myers to get that playing time. And from quotes that we saw uh, that came after the World Series, that basically there was the power struggle. James uh, or Jim Crane Ask Click, are you going to risk your entire, are you gambling your career on Jake Myers? And Click said yes. And so we saw how that played out. And Crane, if nothing, is not a man of his word because uh, Click basically walked or, or was allowed to walk after that. Yeah, there was, there was clearly that power struggle that was happening. There were multiple power struggles that were happening that probably played into the playing time. We found out where guys hit in the lineup. And so, yes, I'm sure Dusty was very tired of of hearing those questions because that's literally 80% of social media during Astro season. It's always where someone hits in the lineup. And one of those few games in which they lose, uh, that's one of the things that they point at is, oh, if only this person was hitting here and this person was. And look, it, it does seem like Dusty throws a dart at a dartboard to figure out what the lineups are from week to week or from game to game. But you know, I guess in a little bit of a, a, a credit to him, there was a power struggle that presumably will not be happening next season. And the lineup was pretty consistent in the playoffs. Like, remember when we were playing the Yankees in the ALCS, it seemed like they had a different order and lineup every single game. Whereas once we got to the playoffs, it was, it was pretty consistent for Dusty. The Yankees almost had a different shortstop in every yeah. game. In fact, they had three different ones through the first three games of the ALCS. Speaking of lineup spots, the Astros uh, claimed uh, left-handed pitcher Matt Gage uh, off of waivers. This Ooh. is the uh, release. No. Uh, <laughs> this is the release from the Astros. And uh, so that brings their uh, total lefties that enter camp. I think it's a four. We have a uh, McTaggart tweet here that basically outlines. So this Gage, Davis, Mashinsky, and Taylor are the lefties that enter into camp as potentials. But basically this um, does two things. One is it scratches that lefty itch or, you know, may help contribute towards scratching that lefty itch that Dusty Baker has. Uh, the, the other thing is that basically is the final spot in the 40 man roster. So does this kind of, does this move kind of indirectly answer the questions of Yuli Gurriel and whether we see Yuli Gurriel back on the Astros in 2023? Uh, not because they filled the 40-man spot. They have several pitchers if they wanted to create a spot. Mashinsky, J.P. France, Sean Dubin, Ronel Blanco. If they wanted to open up a spot on the 40-man, they could do so. I just think all along the Astros properly have been very polite in addressing Yuli but at no point has the needle really pointed in the direction of them bringing him back. And if his market's down to $3 million, uh, but they want a, a little more versatility and they've moved on from better, better and younger players. So it's not as if Yuli's departure is 
inconsequential, particularly in the hearts and minds of, of Astros fans. Um, but where's the playing time and belief in performance, right? He revived certainly in the postseason. That doesn't override a regular season where he was awful across the board, not just the raw data batting average on base percentage. He stopped walking, slugging only eight home runs. Um, 40 doubles is not a special number when you only have eight home runs with them as a first baseman. Uh, but, you know, he mastered the pop fly to right field uh, last season. Slowed bat speed. How often did he barrel it up? Exit velocity, all that stuff. I mean, he was a player who fell off a cliff. Uh, welcome, uh, Jose Abreu. Um, so I just think this is it, – it fills the spot – but if, say, the Astros had the offer for Pirates center fielder Brian Reynolds, they could create that spot on the 40-man for the guy they wanted to, to fill that spot. I just don't think it's Yuli at this point. Yeah, and Matt Gage, I, I don't want to get too excited here. He's 30 years old, and he's pitched like 13 innings in the big leagues. So, you know, I, you hope he's a late bloomer, but I'm not counting on a lot with this move. It's the Blake Taylor, Matt Gage pitch-off. <laughs> in spring training again first world top of the first world issues for the astros who's the last man on the roster among the non-pitchers and if you're going to carry a lefty for the sake of carrying a lefty it didn't really retard their chances in the postseason um so if they want a lefty for the sake of having a lefty that's bad news for seth martinez or maybe phil maton's roster spots not in, entirely safe um, but good for Matt Gage, who won't have to go through customs every time he comes home from a road trip if he makes the Astros. Uh, we got another statement, I believe, last week from Dana Brown, where he was kind of asked again about Yuli, and he was just very diplomatic about his answer. But I, I, th I think all the signs are on the wall. Uh, it, it's unfortunate because, man, he played such a pivotal role in that World Series uh, win in 2022. We will always remember that run. Uh, we will always remember Yuli Gurriel as being a, a staple in both the championships that the Astros won uh, in this six-year window, but it sure looks safe to say that Yuli is gonzo. Well, personal bond and affection aside, if sodium pentothal were necessary, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Jordan Alvarez, Kyle Tucker, the core four presently, um, okay, we're getting a free pass. We can get out of the Abreu contract and bring back Yuli. Should we do it? Uh, no, 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 and no. I mean, the big wheel keeps on turning. There's no, there's no shame in it. Um, but the Astros made what, on paper, projects to be a substantial upgrade from a guy who was a sub-zero war in 2022, right? Meaning replacement player level. You could basically pluck an average guy from AAA, and he could have put up the numbers that Yuli did in the regular season last year. For Jose Abreu, I think it was about a four-and-a-half uh, war guy um, and and should strengthen the strength of the Astros lineup that much more. So thanks for the memories. I mean, we're only, what, another four years away from the 10-year reunion season or 10-year anniversary yeah. celebration season of the first championship. Yuli will be welcome back with a thunderous ovation if he makes it to town. I'm an optimist. I'd like to think that we'll see it, and also a wrestling fan. So I'd like to see a storyline in which Abreu uh, wins MVP in the World Series and he takes off the mask and it's actually Yuli all along. And uh, <laughs> oh someone from God. the announcing booth says, good God almighty, it's Yuli Gurriel. So I would, I'd love to see that play out like that. But, you know, that, that's just happened in wrestling. Before we get to our bottom line question of the week, Charlie, you and I spoke in a video probably – uh, over a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago now, kind of comparing the Chiefs to the Astros. The Chiefs now have their second ring. They've been to five straight uh, title games. Like I said in the open, Chiefs get your own gimmick. Kind of play out pretty similarly, correct? Congratulations to us. And obviously there are fundamental differences. Yeah. Are we casting Jordan in the Patrick Mahomes role? Closest to it? Altuve for a career, but yeah, in this lineup right now, I think Jordan's the unquestioned man. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to hit on too, Brandon, in that 
that thought where you're making the playoffs, you're making deep runs every year, like the Chiefs tend to be doing AFC championship games, Astros playing all these extra innings in the postseason. I thought Brian McTaggart did a nice job on MLB.com. He talked about the Astros pitchers have thrown 114 more innings, including the postseason, than any other team in the last two seasons with you know several guys having career highs in, in innings pitch. Fromber, who now we've seen Frombers backing out of the World Baseball Classic, which I'm happy about, by the way. I don't want to see him throw more innings. But also Christian Javier, Luis Garcia, and Urquidy uh, threw more innings than they're used to throwing last year. So that'll be something to keep an eye on, you know, that it, it feels like a really short offseason. Don't get me wrong. I'm ready for baseball to come back. But you got to be careful with these pitchers, man, especially yeah. the guys that haven't done it before. Yes, uh, and Tom Verducci, the terrific Sports Illustrated uh, baseball writer who uh, moonlighting and is underselling it uh, on, <laughs> on Fox, mm-hmm. um, but he tracks this year to year and the maintaining performance or likelihood of injury factor, guys who blow away their prior workload by 40 innings or more, 50 innings, you know, that – I want to say it's regression to the mean, but that, you know, even great young talented pitchers, it doesn't mean they're going to need Tommy John surgery or a rotator cuff is going to fall out or something like that. But, you know, it's not just a straight line trajectory every year for everybody. Get better, get better, get better until you reach whatever your individual peak is. So it will bear watching. And if Hunter Brown is the truth and you have that six man rotation for different reasons than the way they handled Justin Verlander last season, uh, even with guys a decade younger or more and with the money that's invested or that you intend to sink into these guys uh, from from generations past, you'd call it babying them when men were men, Seaver and Carlton and Gibson. You know, they didn't complete what they started. They were angry. 300 innings in a season was the the bell cow mark, not 200 innings. Um, so, yeah, that's, you know, if, if Astros still have a terrific lineup and an excellent defense, uh, but pitching was certainly their spine last year and uh, you know the back goes out a little bit you're more vulnerable than you would otherwise project to be i think the comparison from the uh the chief still holds up uh except for the fact that uh the chiefs probably got help from the league last night and and a call whereas the astros tend to win in spite of of the league uh, being against them and come on now though brandon when the defensive back himself says yeah i held him honorable yeah honorable and the right call forget this let the players decide the game bs yeah rules are rules a penalty is a penalty now there are missed calls but that was not one of them i don't have skin in the game so i don't really feel passionately about it you know i don't really care either one of these teams whether they win or not and i'm way too smart to actually put money on games smart not calling betters dumb just smart because i know i don't pick the right side on these things so i i choose not to participate in that and then on the as far as the commentary on the offseason being so abbreviated we had a, a quote i didn't include it in, in our graphics here but we had a, a quote from bregman speaking with mark berman where he basically said, yeah, it felt like felt like the season went into basically Thanksgiving. And he said, this is the shortest off season any of us have ever had professionally. When you think of that, you do think of the toll and uh, the amount of innings that these pitchers pitched and many of them setting career highs for the, the number of, of innings that they've pitched. Christian Javier is going to join that as well as we roll into 2023 because you would assume he'll be making uh, more starts, which is what we've all screamed for. But there is certainly a question about, you know, how do these guys pitch uh, going down the stretch? The good thing is they have age on their side. We saw Justin Verlander rack up the innings as well. The the oil was kind of leaking from the cart as we made it into – uh, the World Series for Justin Verlander. So you hope that maybe the, as Charlie would say, the fungibility of these young arms uh, is an advantage for the Astros because they're going to need it. And for longer conversation, perhaps on another day, led by Fromber, the Astros have a starting rotation of guys who work pretty quickly out there. So I don't think we're going to have Astros pitchers fretting or griping all that much about the pitch clock which would be one of the stories of the season as we get into it for both pitchers and hitters. Uh, but even among the, the Astro, Ryan Presley's a, a quick worker. Um, 
Hector Neris maybe, but uh, uh, some dramatic rules changes this year. That'll look spring training baseball is not designed to be exciting, right? Uh, but with the shifts banned and the the pitch clock and batters better be ready and the larger bases and limitations on abilities to try to pick off runners without risking an automatic balk call. Uh, there was meat on the bone for Astros spring training and all the other teams in 2023. Like you said, preseason will be a sneak peek into the pitch clock. How much does this now make that catcher position that much more important? Because pitchers don't really have time to shake off a lot of pitches. And do you think that we'll eventually get to a place where we bypass the catcher making the call and the pitcher agreeing or, or shaking it off? Do we get to a place in which the pitchers are, actually start making the calls first to abbreviate the process i'm gonna guess no just because of the way the pitching is cultivated these days kind of bridging the gap with the uh little wrist watch that uh that the pitcher can hear slider inside um so that hastens things uh along a little bit but to me it will be fun to see uh, generally, I think of myself as a traditionalist, but there are times where you uh, need to evolve in terms of the entertainment product or just how you're handling the pace of the game. So I know there are those screaming about the pitch clock or screaming about banning shifts. Well, in the NFL, defensive backs, you just be able to beat the hell out of wide receivers all over the field. In the NBA, the rules have changed to where you could play no zone to where you can basically play all zone except for the legal three second in the, in the key. Um, so for baseball, not a dying sport, not a broken sport, but a sport that could use a B12 shot in terms of the pace of action. So I'm really hoping it works out. Yeah. And to your point, Brandon, I, I don't think so, because I don't know anybody more involved than Maldonado when it comes to, to calling games. And we, we've heard about it to, to death. Right. But I notice him looking over to the Astros dugout before he's calling pitches very often. I don't know for sure. That's why he's looking over there, but that's what I think is going on. So, yeah, I think. I think the pitching coaches and the team want it to go through the catcher and to the pitcher. So we've finally come to the part of the show in which we uh, ask our uh, listeners and viewers to participate. It is the bottom line question of the week. Uh, this comes to us. CBS sports ranked the Astros number one in their power ranking and uh, credit for them for not taking the salacious route and trying to uh, bait clicks by putting some, I've I've seen anywhere from the the Mets at the top, or you know, to all different sorts of uh, of, of iterations of that. But in part of it, uh, Matt Snyder, who was the author of this article, he projects Jordan Alvarez to have a better season than Aaron Judge. So, guys, that makes me uh, wonder what your opinion is, and I want to ask everybody who's watching this right now. You you can vote as well. Try to put your Astros orange-colored glasses aside and just look at it as, it as for the question that it is. Do you guys project either Jordan or Judge to have the better season in 2023? And I'll start with uh, the panel. So, Charlie, answer that first. As a regular season proposition only, I will go with Jordan, though Astros fans should acknowledge or just accept it wasn't close last season. Regular season. I mean, Judge had Jordan by nearly 100 points in OPS. And late June, it was Jordan ahead by uh, about 80 points. Judge had an historic regular season. Regular season. He was a monster. Uh, so I think a little bit what goes up must come down. Uh, Judge hit 52 home runs as a rookie. And I know he's changed his diet and all that. So they think he's going to be uh, Mr. Durable going forward. But he's on the wrong side of 30. He's a big, big guy, which will be a challenge to age well. Uh, I don't think he's going to crater this year, but Jordan should still be ascendant and he's five years younger. And I really can't envision a scenario where Jordan's going to hear it from Astros fans. If he has a rough week or two that, oh yeah, you got six years, 115 million. Now you have in cruise control, big guy. If judge goes over four opening day, he's going to hear booze. <laughs> uh, and you know, he's there. He got his money. He's happy. He's now the captain of the Yankees. But nine years, $360 million is going to be ringing in his ears a lot <laughs> when the postseason arrives. If he's, if he's not delivering then, it's going to be a bloodbath up there. Um, but with that possible element, and uh, Judge had one of the greatest seasons of all time, right. regular seasons of all time. So I think he is due for some regression. He can drop off a fair amount and still be awesome. But uh, I'll bet on Jordan this year. 
Yeah, uh, I'm going to do the same. I'm going to go with Jordan. And a lot of this is my fantasy football background. I don't like betting on guys coming off a career season. They almost always disappoint. It's just there's nowhere to go but down. And it really, to me, it's it's only injuries. I think that could slow Jordan down. So I'm going to go with the Astros here. Jordan, I just – and I'm sure Judge will have a nice season. It's just there's something about it that following year – Maybe he's got the contract now. I just I'm going to give it to Jordan. He's younger. I think he's up and coming. And maybe Jordan can ride that wave of, of what they did in the playoffs into the regular season. That would be incredible. And if we're not necessarily splitting hairs, but if you're drawing up the plus and, and minus column on this, uh, I think Jordan stands to benefit a little bit more from the abolition of the shifts, yeah, which do discriminate proportionally more so against left-handed hitters. Then I guess right-handed hitters. So Jordan, the lefty, Judge, the righty. That's that's one more check mark in the Jordan column. Personally, it depends on uh, what you define as having a better season. I think statistically, both of you have stated that there certainly could be a element of Judge regressing to the mean, but he can still stand to you know, lose a lot of those points and stats and still have a great season. I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to say that maybe Judge has the better statistical season. And I, I say that because I feel like there's probably going to be a lot of pressure on him to perform because he kind of carries their team. That's kind of, they rely on him so much more. And so maybe you'd say, well, he could fold under that pressure. Certainly could. I don't think Jordan feels like the entire fate of his team is on his back. He has a lot more help than Aaron Judge has, not the least of which comes from the pitching side of it. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say that maybe uh, Jordan doesn't have a statistically a good season. And I think part of that is what we did see in the postseason, he didn't have a whole lot of hits in the postseason. What he had were very meaningful hits in the postseason, but he kind of bookended his postseason with very, very epic, dramatic hits uh, and, and home runs. And in between there, there weren't there weren't as many. That was a little bit of what we saw during the season with him. And again, we don't know whether there was there was a lot of talk about that hand injury and whether it, maybe it was that hemate bone that was giving him issues. And we didn't know whether it was one or both hands. And they played coy the entire season with what the true nature of that injury was and how it was really affecting him. We do know whatever it was, whether it was injured or not, it certainly at some point had entered his uh, psyche and kind of threw him off. Something was throwing him off, and then he just seemed to get it back and then started mashing again. So I'll just say, you know, just for the sake of being a contrarian here, which I kind of hate doing that, but I'll just say it's Judge. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. And that is going to do it for another episode of Stone Cold Strohs. I want to thank Charlie Palillo and Josh Jordan, my cohorts, for uh, joining me today and talking some ball. Who else am I going to talk baseball in February with? You guys and the guys in the comments. Thank you so much for our chat. Uh, thank you so much for viewing and engaging and listening to us. And for everybody who's listening to this on the audio version, we appreciate you sticking around through this and listening to us talk baseball. So again, until next week, we will be live here on YouTube again at 3 p.m. as we are every week. And we will be that much closer to the 2023 season Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Go Astros.